Hello everybody, this is Lucia Klaščincava, your host of Lights on Europe. Today's episode is a bit less fun than usual because we've recorded it at the occasion of the fourth anniversary of the terrorist attacks that happened at the Brussels airport. We are speaking to a survivor of this attack, Elizabeth Krahulets, who's a director of regulatory and public policy at Ernst & Young. So we're not really discussing the future of consulting and public affairs industry as initially foreseen, but we're discussing her own personal experience of what it was like to go through what happened and try to figure out how to manage your own healing process once you find yourself in a wheelchair in pain as a single mother and with without much of a support structure around you. So I'm sure it will be very unique experience for you to listen to her sharing and also probably kind of inspiring listening to how she transformed her life afterwards and how much she's committed to working with organizations and the governments to transform how countries are prepared for terrorist attacks so that families no longer have to go through the pain that she and many others went through after what happened in Brussels. Hello, Elizabeth. Thank you very much for accepting the invitation for our podcast at this very special period of the year for you and for us. Hi, Lucia. Thank you very much. What is new and what is a super, I mean, kind of special angle about the conversation with you as our guest is that initially when we were planning to have the conversation, we were going to talk about your corporate career, about the consulting and public affairs business in Brussels, about you being a woman leader in one of the biggest consultancies in the world. But then our conversation diverted to something that I find can be equally enriching for our audience. So if that's okay for you, let's... Uh, look more at the experience that you went through a couple years ago uh, being a victim of the terrorist attack here in Brussels. So thank you once again for being open to discussing this because I feel it's been a very special event for the country, for Europe and obviously for hundreds of people and the families that went through it. So thanks once again. Thank you. Yeah, now, why don't we open up with as deep or as wide as you are willing to go with explaining to our audience what is it that happened, to which degree were you involved in the or impacted by the attack? Sure, it's uh, almost four years now. And after four years, of course, it's uh, easier to talk about it, but it's still not uh, not easy. It's it's also because, uh, because uh, time uh, heals. But when you have a major shock, a major trauma, then uh, then you deal with it uh, in a completely different way. And um, and of course, uh, as you mentioned, we started to talk about uh, female leadership, and uh, then we uh, we uh, we touched upon the fact that I was uh, injured during the during the terrorist attack in Brussels. And uh, why? Because uh, because my role uh, and as an EMEA associate partner also involves traveling, and uh, that was a Tuesday morning. I was. Uh, I was uh, going to work basically to the airport to travel to another country to do my, my job and uh, that's when this uh, unfortunate uh, terrorist attack happened and uh, that, was a, that was a huge shock and uh, my life uh, completely changed and, uh, and I believe it, uh, it never will be the same and it's absolutely normal. Uh, I'm uh, disabled now, uh, you probably don't see because, uh, because it's an in- invisible disability in terms of my, my uh, hip has a, has a metal piece in there which, which holds it together uh, but luckily indeed, uh, indeed uh, there isn't any visible disability or the, the uh, visible injury and of course 
shows the emotional part, the post trauma, which uh, which has been there for for a long time. Uh, now the terrorist attack uh, is going to be four years. Um, that's going to be the fourth anniversary of the terrorist attack. And uh, in uh, in some respect, I'm uh, more lucky because uh, because indeed I focused on the recovery, and at a very early early stage, uh, instead of uh, instead of uh, focusing on uh, being a victim. I prefer to focus on uh, being a survivor. And I, and think I guess it must have been really difficult for you to get into this mindset because for sure, I mean, it must have been very, obviously it's a trauma. It must have been very difficult, very painful and also complicated from the everyday logistics perspective because you're also a single mom you are an executive in a company so i don't know what were the first things uh, running through your mind but i guess it must be pretty challenging so it feels like it's a very brave words to hear you're focusing on on the recovery but i wonder how it was the early days weeks and months after it happened where i'm sure the support system that you have around you is everything in helping you obviously survive and and get your health back to a certain extent but also to save your mindset and find the right way of going through the experience so Yeah, who was who was your sure. success factors or your angels that helped you go through it immediately afterwards? Well, uh, of course, the first thing in my mind it wasn't about the pain, but that being said, I had a huge pain because uh, because I, I had a really big uh, big uh, injury. I was thinking about my daughter. What is happening with her? Because uh, uh, she wasn't with me, so so everything around uh, my mind besides uh, just just uh, to survive the, the moment uh, was about my daughter. So how quickly did you manage to get in touch with her on the day? Very quickly, very quickly. Of course I couldn't see her because uh, I had a very serious injury and I was immediately taken to a, to a hospital in Antwerp uh, and that was quite unfortunate because uh, I couldn't uh, have uh, as much uh, meetings with her. Or that was because the Brussels hospitals were full? <laughs> well, uh, it wasn't even the case. Uh, I, I still don't know why I was taken to Antwerp, but it was uh, a very painful experience for me. Besides what happened, uh, that I wasn't uh, provided the opportunity to be placed in Brussels so that I was taken to Antwerp. And uh, these are still uh, still uh, questions uh, open. And uh, about uh, what helped me, that was uh, that was a mix of uh, support from many people. Friends, of course, and, uh, and my family in the first place. Uh, and of course, my, my employer, they They took it very seriously and uh, they provided me the opportunity to come back to work gradually, which was, uh, which was uh, very important. Which was after how long time? How long did it take you to get the health back so that you can start maybe refocusing on the reintegration to work again? Sure, uh, I, I couldn't work, uh, couldn't walk for several months. Uh, I was in wheelchair, and um, of course, um, as uh, as we live in a virtual world, the company provided me the possibility to to listen into conference calls to really get back gradually at at, at my own space. And uh, and um, the first time I got back to work was uh, eight months after the terrorist attack. So it was a very long, uh, very long period. And uh, and to me, work was always uh, always uh, a tool. 
something uh, to focus on so that uh, instead of uh, in, instead of uh, feeling all the time sorry and uh, and uh, considering what happened in the past i really try to to focus on the future and, and that was also thanks to my daughter because uh, because at one point um, uh, after a couple of weeks she told me uh, very honestly that uh, that our life wasn't the same of course because i i couldn't leave um, and uh, that sentence remained and really helped me to build my resilience whatever happened to focus on to focus on the positive and probably that's uh, that's uh, one of uh, the main uh, benefits uh, of uh, of uh, being uh, being a survivor that uh, I don't need to learn from books about what is resilience because I I, I really felt it and experienced it on my skin and uh, basically just to focus on the next step uh, what positive can come out about even a worse, uh, even a tragic situation like this was there one special element person book or piece of wisdom that you received that helped you transform that mindset because i think it's really the hardest thing that people can go through when you're like really deep down in some kind of a pain to get you get yourself out of that deep place right and nobody can do it other than the person who's impacted by the pain that happened in their life and sometimes people have some kind of a trigger or a moment which brings that realization where they say to themselves now if this is what i've been going through there's a reason probably and they try to transform that situation that is going to be beneficial to themselves or their immediate surroundings in some way sure was it for you more of a process or was there like one trigger or a moment which helped you shift that mindset to me like uh, like of course uh, when you almost die and i was really close to dying that's a, that's a huge shock and that that changing uh, that changes everything around you in a way it slows you down and uh, it it was a overall a process because uh, because it's really difficult to find uh, find someone who went through exactly the same so uh, i i kept asking uh, coaches uh, psychologists psychiatrists about uh, about uh, uh, the best way to get through and uh, they weren't able to give because uh, because it's uh, such a such a unique uh, lucky situation so that uh, we don't have that that much experience especially this uh, this part of the work and i had to find uh, bits and pieces um, uh, whatever helped me and overall what what really helped me to create as uh, as many positive uh, opportunities to support others and uh, how can you support others uh, i learned it that uh, when i talk about uh, what happened with me i don't o- only talk about myself i'm uh, speaking up for others as well and uh, that uh, that also helped me to get out of the most difficult uh, the most difficult period because uh, I, I had um, uh, lots of uh, speaking opportunities where I represented all the other victims. And as uh, as I'm involved in uh, policy making, I could uh, I could uh, easier point out um, uh, critical points when the policy can and could help uh, victims because uh, because there are some lower hanging fruits and uh, that's what uh, that's what really helped me to to focus on uh, the positive solutions what could help for others because uh, many legislators are are not in the possession of uh, of being aware what could help victims if you tell them they they might be able to help and in that respect uh, we have achieved a lot of progress uh, it's uh, still not uh, not the end because uh, as a as a victim and now I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the victim side we are suffering a lot from from the insurance companies practices 
after four years, I'm still not compensated for for the terrorist attack uh, and uh, and all what uh, what we suffered. Of course, uh, that cannot be compensated, but still, uh, still there should be more collective responsibility in terms of uh, finding out how to best compensate and support victims. So it's a very difficult question to ask in a sense of with the benefit of hindsight, what is it that they should have been doing differently? Because hopefully this thing is never, ever going to happen again, which is almost a typical kind of downside of preparing for any kind of crisis at the national level, where usually not enough investment is put at the table because you hope it's never going to happen. And so I wonder to which degree the state of Belgium or probably other member states are also learning as much as you would hope for, learning from the experiences of people like you, you who have not only been through the experience, but you're also wise enough or professional enough to give them that policy advice and walk them through the design of a policy solution, because you have probably been blessed enough to have the support structures around you. But I can imagine that there were many victims who wouldn't have had the financial resources or the intellectual capacity around them to help them reintegrate back. And probably they have stayed on sick leave or unemployed or impacted to a bigger degree because they didn't have the support structure or weren't able to recreate it in such an improvised way as you were able to do it thanks to your company. Sure. And uh, in terms of uh, what the governments could help, and uh, and I hope that uh, also the, the Belgian government is working on this to, to create a one single point contact, because uh, by by being a victim and uh, without, uh, without a set procedure, I, I had been interviewed uh, over 20 different uh, uh, different doctors and and many other uh, representatives and uh, getting back to what happened and explaining from the very beginning. And it's simply because there's 20 different departments which are involved with the case for you to give you your compensation some of them, and assess the some case. Some of them, yes, but uh, some of them was just uh, purely, uh, purely as a result of uh, the insurance company's practices. They, they are not there to support uh, victims. They are there to make the process uh, as complicated as possible and to as long money. as possible. And that's, uh, that has to be stopped because, uh, because uh, first we are victims, but, uh, but now I learned what is double, triple and so on victimization. It's not enough that you are a victim, but you have to go through all these painful processes. And uh, in terms of uh, what the society, employers uh, and others can do to provide as much flexibility as possible, and that's where I would uh, draw some parallel about uh, being uh, a female, uh, female uh, employee and uh, and um, and getting back uh, back to work, for example, after you have children, because the most you can you can receive, the more support you can receive to have flexibility and trust, and I think it's a, it's a invaluable. And so all these measures that we talk about, which allow women to reintegrate better into the career and into the corporate life once they will have had babies, it's almost like exponentially bigger when you're a victim. And so you were a target of probably or or a user or a designer of these measures yourself for yourself. And now probably there's many other women in your company and in the industry benefiting from it. So it must be pretty challenging. But I guess if you were at the stage of your career when you were already high enough in the hierarchy, you're probably much more powerful or you have a bigger leverage to push these measures through. So probably that's one of the benefits of the trauma when it allows you to push the change a bit quicker. 
Absolutely, and uh, and I, fu- I I truly believe that uh, that you can achieve uh, more impact uh, and uh, and more changes uh, if you are inside of a system, and uh, of course uh, if you are higher up in the hierarchy, you learn that uh, that you need to represent others and you need to represent uh, yourself uh, in a different way, and it really helps. Uh, it it really helped me as well to uh, to be there to support all the other victims by by pointing. Out to the European Commission, we had uh, we had meetings with the European Parliament, many other stakeholders. Can you also uh, explain what is the benefit of all of this for the company? Because some people who typically are reluctant for what is labeled as diversity measures, measures which allow a more comfortable life for women or, or other, I don't want to call it subgroups because women are typically a majority in an organization, but groups of people with special needs, typically the requests are looked at as a social right or a human rights issue. But of course, research shows that the measures can then translate into a different kind of corporate culture, into different kind of performance of teams and results of a company. So are you, based on your experience, are you able to make the business case as if it were for a bigger rollout of these uh, diversity-friendly measures? Of course, um, I, um, there's a clear business case about this, but uh, when you are... Um a victim or a survivor you, That's are, the last thing you, you think don't think about. about the business case but 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 of course uh, uh, as uh, as the society is diverse uh, the more diverse a company the more they, they benefit additionally uh, why it's beneficial for 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 companies organizations because uh, as you mentioned it's a it's a basic human right the more you pay attention to the human rights aspects uh, the more uh, attractive you are for, for your stakeholders and I think it's it's really important important because uh, because the way you think the way you behave uh, others will also approach you companies uh, like um, my own company it's a it's a big international organization and uh, and they take it very seriously that uh, that their role as a role model what uh, what we do within the company it provides good examples for others as well and uh, and in that respect i i have always been really proud of uh, working for ey because uh, because uh, they uh, they walk the talk and so we've touched upon what you're doing with the other organizations and the state in order to help victims and their families If there's corporate people listening to us, if there's a CEO of a company listening and they are aware of having no action plan ready in case such crisis would uh, touch upon a member of the team or the whole team, what is it that you would recommend them where to start from or which resources to study if a company would like to get better prepared for this kind of possible crisis that might impact their company? I believe, uh, first of all, uh, it's a, it's part of a contingency planning and additional uh, a human resource issue. And uh, and uh, for for me, what was uh, surprising and uh, and I, I I still admire uh, the leadership that uh, within a really few hours I was uh, I, I had uh, the possibility to be in contact with uh, with my colleagues and uh, and they, uh, they 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 were listening to me. They were trying to find out uh, what uh, what I needed, but additionally there were experts for example in New York there was someone who was part of a network uh, which uh, helped me to find an English-speaking uh, 
coach, a psychologist uh, who could uh, who could come to the uh, to the hospital and um, and then to my my home to support me. And uh, just to think about it, uh, what 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 is out there? What what services you can provide and uh, and who can talk to you is already important. And well, the last angle that I would like to touch upon is the invisible disability, because one thing is one to two years after the attack, the attack when the crisis is totally in everybody's face and mind and it's uh, on the media. So we are much more present and conscious of trying to help the victims. But then life moves on and people forget, but you continue living with it. And we already had another podcast episode with a colleague of mine, Vera Pinto, who speaks about invisible disabilities from the physical perspective, for instance, of people who have digestion problems and have special physical needs when it comes to infrastructures of building and having access to to toilets and other infrastructures. Uh, Now, at your level, or in your case, it's a physical combined with the psychological. And so I wonder how can the organizations go best about addressing them because what we've discussed with Vera as well is that oftentimes, for instance, when the victims are being interviewed, they tend not to disclose these special needs at an interview because they feel they would be obviously discriminated against because the companies don't want to integrate another special case and it's an extra cost or a special situation that they are not comfortable with. And so what would be your advice for organizations, for the individuals, for the family, you know, for the society to embrace this a bit more openly to make lives easier for the victims in a super long term um, basis? Sure. Um, for me, the invisible disability is indeed uh, physical and emotional as well. Whenever it comes uh, closer to the to the anniversary of the terrorist attack, it's uh, it's obviously more difficult. As I have a daughter, and uh, and there is a school holiday, uh, which uh, which was uh, uh, in fact uh, just last week, uh, uh, my colleagues uh, uh, accept that uh, that I really take this uh, this week off, and uh, and I try not to not to work, because uh, because uh, that's the week when I when I need to prepare for the terrorist attack, because uh, it's not easy. And in terms of uh, in terms of uh, talking about stigmas, uh, I believe there are there, there are different. Uh, different approaches, and uh, for me, as uh, this was something I couldn't hide because uh, because I was uh, on a business trip, so it was uh, it, it was obvious that it happened with me. Nothing to hide, but of course, uh, of course, you are trying to to hide uh, the stigmas. And uh, there's another parallel because uh, when when you are um, a female uh, employee. It it always a big question to you: Should I should I disclose that I have kids, uh, that I'm a single mom, or not? And uh, and of course, uh, over time, uh, everyone can find its way. But I think it's uh, it's really important that uh, that the company and the colleagues, uh, friends, family that's that's easier for them provides a safe place. And uh, there's a there's a really good uh, good example that uh, when you talk about the window weather, uh, it's uh, it comes from one of the Nordic countries. Is uh, when you are inside and you see the weather outside. And uh, and you are in a in a cozy chalet, and uh, it's always warm and pleasant, and uh, the weather can change outside. It can be sometimes windy, it can be it can be rainy. Then it, uh, the sun is uh, is uh, comes out, but inside you always feel secure, and it's really important. And that's what I learned. Uh, uh, and here I say that thanks to the terrorist attack, 
because uh, because uh, I learned that uh, that I need to create a safe place for myself and uh, and if if I'm in a safe place and to me that's resilience whatever happens outside I know that it will pass I just need to be patient and uh, colleagues uh, can can help a lot to better understand that uh, sometimes uh, you need this safe place and to provide uh, as much safety as possible so that you can come over all of these challenges and difficulties. Excellent. Thank you very much. We wish you all the best and thanks a lot for being open to discuss it because I think that's part of the leadership speaking openly about these kind of experiences because obviously it gives a lot of wisdom and food for thought for those out there who could have been impacted by these kind of experiences in some way. So thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!